100 miles for distance runners and ultra athletes. It's become an obsessive goal. Yeah, marathon's cool, but what ultra are you running? And with that, can I really do it? That was the question that Jesse and Scott asked themselves, a pair of buddies who have been running together for a few years, but they ran right into facing their first 100 miler together. Lace them up because we're hitting the trail with a pair of high impact men on today's episode of Pick Up the Six Podcast. Jesse, Scott, welcome to Pick Up the Six. Hey, thanks. Hey, thanks for having us, Brian. Awesome to see you guys. Good to hear your voices. I know you both logged some miles this morning. We'll talk a little bit about the crazy thing you're doing over the next 10 days, but good to hear and see you guys and talk about this pick up the six story of how you both ended up training for and running together, essentially step for step, a 100 miler. And you're in the same room as we record this podcast today. It's funny to call you Jesse and Scott, as I look across you uh, here and, and uh, our listeners will know given our background and my background and the folks we've had on this show and F3 men that we've talked to before, you guys are a pair of F3 guys. So to refer to you by your real names is a little strange for me, uh, but we'll try to keep it as, uh, as well as we can. I know Scott as F3 largemouth for our friends across the F3 gloom. They know him that as well. Jesse G T L uh, short for Jim tan and laundry. We'll talk about why you got that. So good to see you large and GTL. What's up boys. Hey, same here, buddy. Great to be here. Yeah, good to be here. All right. Let's start with uh, my man, Scott Gordon, uh, and talk a little bit, get to know him a little bit. We're going to talk about this journey, this running journey, what got you guys to this 100 miler, your very first 100 miler and all that just went into that and the cool stories about how you helped each other out and all the other people that helped you out as well. But Scotty, let's get to know you a little bit. So tell us about Scott Gordon. Who are you? Where are you from? Scott Gordon, um, born and raised right down the road here in Durham, North Carolina. Um, I went to college at uh, St. Andrews University down in Laurenburg, four years there, moved to Raleigh for a short stint before hopping over here to Cary. I've lived here for the past almost 20 years, um, married and three awesome kids. So cool. Uh, for our friends in the F3 world, I called you largemouth. Why do your F3 buddies call you largemouth? I believe um, the first time that I posted at an F3 workout, uh, it was raining at COT at the end of the workout and they were lacking creativity. And when I told them some of the things that I enjoy to do, which involve hunting, fishing, lacrosse, all that good stuff, uh, they popped out large mouth and everybody ran to their car. So, <laughs> And that was it. Let's get out of here as we're quickly out. as possible and move it on from there. Right, large. Thanks for sharing that a little bit about yourself. Also a uh, lacrosse coach too, in your limited free time. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I'm uh, just finished up my 13th season as head coach at D Carey high school uh, lacrosse team. So awesome. Yep. Man, giving back to his community. Love it. Uh, go imps. Yeah. Go imps. Listening as well. All right, Jesse, get in here for a second. Uh, we call you GTL in the F3 world. We'll talk about what that means in a minute, but who's Jesse Kaluka? Where'd you come from, man? Yeah, sure. I uh, grew up in South Jersey, about 15 minutes outside of Philadelphia. Uh, came down to Virginia, went to Liberty University uh, in 1999, um, met my wife there, and then we moved to Northern Virginia, Manassas for about a year, and then uh, ended up getting uh, recruited by my mother-in-law down here to the uh, containment area for relocated Yankees, Carrie. Mm -hmm. So uh, ended up down here in 2004, um, and we also now have uh, three, three children, 
and uh, work for uh, UNC Healthcare locally here. So if you haven't done the quick math, guy from South Jersey that shows up to an F3 workout, uh, Jersey Shore, obviously low-hanging fruit, and thus <laughs> the gym tan laundry that is ETL. How much pride do you take in that sort of a nickname? <laughs> well, you know, I mean, it's one of the things our state is most proud of, that show, and particularly that cast of uh, characters. So <laughs> it's great. <laughs> yeah, not Bruce Springsteen, uh, but, right. but Snooky and the whole crew. <laughs> sure. All right, man. Good to hear that about you. You guys are both athletes, right? You both have been physically active for most of your lives, but I, having known you over the last four years and having the privilege of chasing you guys around on many runs, trying to keep up with you and watching the way that your running has accelerated. Just talk me through, if you don't mind, Scott, talk me through this journey from, you know, look, being an athletic guy, being a lacrosse guy, being a coach, but really kind of falling into form here with more distance running. Cause I know it's something that you've gravitated towards uh, over the last few years. So how's that kind of happen for you? Yeah. I mean, I guess I, uh, you know, I didn't really, I figured out in high school that I could, I could run, you know, but it, but it was always purposeful running, you know, soccer really gravitated more towards lacrosse, playing midfield, chasing the ball up and down, ended up going to college to play lacrosse mm -hmm. sometime around uh, sophomore year. Um, we were out doing some lacrosse conditioning only running and uh, I was spied out by the cross country coach. They were looking to fill a couple spots, offered me a little scholarship money. And so I ended up running cross country uh, my junior and senior year in college. And that's kind of what, um, when I first really, I mean, it was only five miles, I believe was the, the college distance, but, uh, you know, that was for me, that was, that was some long distance at the time, got out of college, kind of, you know, continued to run on my own, you know, kind of before I found the F3 group, you know, it was three to five miles. That was it. Um, I did a couple half marathons, um, and, and I definitely remember I, while I enjoyed the half marathon distance, I definitely remember thinking, um, that's it, you know, no more, no more. I couldn't, I couldn't imagine running more than 13.1. Um, so, you know, that's kind of the, I guess that's the kind of my, my journey into running probably up until, you know, up until as of recently. Yeah. Okay. We're going to get into how things shifted and essentially what becomes really some peer pressure from your buddies, <laughs> something inside the after we refer to as the emotional headlock. It's just a good way to get a man accelerating maybe if he doesn't really want to jesse for you man this journey in through physical fitness but then to really start pushing it and to get running more how's that work for you yeah sure um mine was a real kind of slow progression back in 2009 uh my my wife was taking a blood pressure test for during her second pregnancy and she was like oh, i want you to take one of these and uh put it on ended up having some pretty horrendous numbers uh got me a little nervous so just kind of decided, you know, what, what's going to give you the quickest return uh, on my health. And so I said, oh, let me go out and run, try to run a mile. So went out, tried to run a mile, a couple nights a week, did that for a couple of years, uh, signed up for a 5k to give me some motivation, did that, but never really ventured too far beyond that. Um, so then fast forward to about 2016, um, a buddy of mine that I worked with, a guy named F3 Coco, uh, kind of shamed me into coming out to an uh, F3 workout by putting it on my work calendar along with my boss and a few other guys I respected <laughs> at work. <laughs> so I uh, did that and uh, discovered what F3 was and how it was just a great, a great thing for my life. And um, that kind of got me uh, pushing my mileage up a little bit, uh, you know, throughout the week um, leading up to about end of 2018, which was kind of that same point where I think uh, Scott and I both took a turn for a little bit more mileage. <laughs> 
How is putting that group of men around you, those other individuals around you, how has that helped accelerate both of you in your, not just passion for running, but in your ability to run further and faster? Yeah. How, how, how has that helped in that area? I could, I could jump in here. Uh, so one of the things for me was just being invited out on uh, what we call extra credit runs, uh, some early morning, three or four mile runs. Um, having a couple of really solid runners invite me out to run with them. And then I think what I've kind of described in the past to some people is just like called running scared, uh, where I'm just trying to keep up with some, some really talented runners when my fitness is nowhere near theirs. Um, it just pushes you to see what your limits are and see what you can do. You know, I mean, you want to, you want, you want, just want to see how far you can go, how fast you can go. Um, and having a, a group of brothers around you, just giving you encouragement and, and trying to bring you out there with, with them and, uh, you know, making you feel like you really can maybe get to the same point they're at. You guys have been doing that for the last few years, that small group you've run endurance races together, relay races together. You've even run single races, but just, you know, sort of together. And it's been really neat to watch that thing progress. And, and you've become inside our local community, a, a local leadership group and, and, uh, and something for men to try to attain to. So I, I know you both don't take that lightly and, and it does come with added responsibility when, when people say, man, there goes sort of the elite running group of our local region here. You guys are both a part of that. Scott, what's that like being a part of uh, something that that's kind of a little bit bigger than itself? Yeah. I mean, it really has, it really has, you know, I don't know if that's what we set out to do. Right. I mean, we, we kind of started out as a, as a BRR team, you know, Blue Ridge Relay team. Um, and then it turned into a, a group text and then it turned into running every day, um, you know, to, and, and, and what that builds in, I think, is the accountability. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, I was calling someone at 455 this morning, <laughs> that being Jesse, wondering where he was. He, he overslept his alarm. We were expecting <laughs> him to be there. And that's just, you know, that's the accountability. If you're going out for a run by yourself at 4.55 and you sleep through your alarm, ain't nobody calling you, right? That's right. So, That's right. you know, we kind of built that. And then, you know, from there, it just, yeah, I guess we just try to embrace that a little bit. We have um, we have the luxury and the privilege of running. One of the guys in our running group is, is truly an elite um, endurance athlete. Uh, Mike Frito, uh, F3 Michelo, you know, he's run many more hundred milers than probably me and Jesse could ever hope to do mm -hmm. at this point. We're, we're definitely chasing his legacy, but he has been a, you know, he's been a great inspiration, a great coach, you know, someone that I've, uh, we've both been honored to kind of run around with. So that's right. And he is the most humble and soft spoken <laughs> of men, but when he puts the hammer down on a run like that, and especially with some distance going, he can rip your soul out without you even <laughs> knowing it. <laughs> it's like he's the nicest guy at doing it oh yeah yes you can't you can't even feel feel upset about it right yeah, mike, mike fiorito one of the best google mike fiorito umstead ultra 100 you can see the legend that is that high impact man that we get to spend a lot of time around and what a great mentor for your smaller group of elite runners to be able to to learn and listen from him and, and he's been able to guide you along the way and, and he's helped uh, motivate and and be a part of uh, endurance races in and around our area. We've got a big 24-hour race that many of our friends run called the Oakwood 24. If you go to the Pick Up the Six YouTube channel, you can see a short documentary that we created about our friend John Fry and his wife Jackie and their quest to, to help give back in their community through the Oakwood 24. Mike Fiorito's created his own uh, challenge. We call it jokingly the Mike Fiorito Race for Second Place, which is a big <laughs> endurance run you guys did last November. So Jesse, talk to me a little bit about the things that fall into place that tee up for you guys 
going after this hundred miler? How do we get sure. to, we're both running this hundred miler and it, and it looks like we're probably going to run this thing together. Yeah. Um, I mean, I would say, I would kind of say it really goes back for me, December, 2018. And it goes back actually to Mike Ferrito again. He wanted, he'd always wanted to put together a six man team for this Blue Ridge relay event. And for some crazy reason, I guess they saw something in me that they wanted to take a chance on, <laughs> you know, getting me on, on that team um, when I was definitely just like, this guy might just be dumb enough. Dumb, yeah. enough. <laughs> dumb enough to go straight past the 12 man, past the nine man, right to the six man. <laughs> I think that's right. <laughs> so, no, it honestly, it probably is the best way. Cause he's like, I don't even know what this race is. I'm not oh, even yeah. sure what it's going to be like. Yeah, sure. Guys, I'll be happy to do it. Oh yeah. Yeah. I totally had already committed. And then I'd be out on runs with these guys saying like, could you just tell me a little more about what we're doing? Like what, <laughs> what exactly is this like? <laughs> so they were, you what know, is the blue Ridge. I don't even yeah. know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, that was really what it, that's, that's, that was the catalyst for me. And then really knowing that I, I needed a solid eight months of hardcore training to get ready for this thing. And uh, like, like Scott was saying, you know, putting that, that, accountability group together where we're, where we're running and putting in the mileage we needed to put in. Um, that was my journey. So getting to the, the actual event in September of 2019, um, it was already going to be an intense event, but then due to an unfortunate circumstance with an injury in our team, we ended up uh, going from a six man to a five man team and running all routes that we weren't prepared for, hadn't researched, hadn't, you know, anything. So it kind of took it to this other level really quickly um, and through that experience, it, it really showed me that I was capable of doing it. And then number two, it made me fall in love with the whole thing. And just the, that addiction started almost overnight to that whole ultra scene of running. <laughs> yeah. So you guys, uh, go through this journey. Um, I was fortunate enough to be a part of that same Blue Ridge relay on a different team and watched your team, you know, kind of from afar as you're coming through exchange zones at similar times and seeing you guys deal with adversity it was a hell of a mike tyson moment right everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face Perfect. you guys got punched in the face on the second leg of a 36 leg race and had to make adjustments and went from a six-man team to a five-man team so you were ready you, you have to be prepared for anything but really also expect the the unexpected and that's what happened to you then all right so we you get you do that you get all these running sort of events going but then it becomes time uh, for this mountain sea trail endurance race. And again, our good friend, John Fry's putting on, who is also the race director for the Oakwood 24. And so this thing's got varying distances. Scotty, at what point did you guys decide? Cause you could have done uh, a 50 K a 50 miler. The 100 was out there. When did you decide? How did it happen that you guys are going to do the 100? I mean, you know, it kind of, it kind of popped up on us a little bit. We had really just with, with, you know, the, the COVID year that we've had, we really picked up our mileage. We both ran our first marathon uh, last March, an off the books marathon. Um, we both ran our first 50K. Um, you know, we did BRR again. Uh, the Mike Frito uh, race for second place, we ended up getting about 60 miles. You know, that's a, that's a, uh, that was a, uh, a different format. Mm -hmm. We were running all 60 in a row. Then we both, you know, decided to tackle 50 at the Oakwood this past December. And I think it was about that time that we were just out for a, a regular training run. You know, in the morning we had heard that Fry had gotten his race approved by the, you know, by the MST so that we could be out there. 
And um, I just said, hey, man, what do you think about this? What do you think about the, about doing the hundred? I think I, I think I kind of, you know, he, I kind of floored him by that. It wasn't it wasn't there was a progressive, you know, hey, you know, maybe we'll just do another 50 or another 50 K, you know, um, let's just what do you think about the hundred? And, uh, you yes. know, it, it uh, he he I guess you, know, you can take it from there. You kind of took it home and, um, you yeah, know, I, 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 I might have planted the seed. And hoping he was just going to say, you know what, we're probably not ready. For <laughs> I mean, I thought maybe worst case scenario, Jesse, you could have just pushed him off the side of the road. Like, I'm, I'm <laughs> that's true. That's a good point. <laughs> I'll just play out. No, he definitely floored me with that one. I, I had that in the long-term range plans, like 2022, 2023, maybe I'm thinking. And when he said that, I remember reacting like shocked that that was on the table because it was only a couple months away. Um, but you know, it's like anything it, I started marinating on it, took it, took it home. I was on my uh, nightly dog walk with my wife and threw it out there to her. And shockingly, she responded with, yeah, you absolutely should do it. You're not getting any younger at all. You need to go now. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I was like, you got a great point there. Yeah. So uh, I kind of talked myself into it over the course of January and didn't really pull the trigger trigger to the to the end of January. Um, but I also knew I had to, uh, a, a, another trail run coming up that was going to be perfect uh, timing leading up to that. That would give me a good uh a good race to kind of train for that as well. So. Well, if the war room gives you the go ahead. Yeah, maybe, that's right. We might as well get to work. Guys, what that's is, right. what is training for a 100 mile event? Like, man, I would say, uh, well, for, for one thing, I would say this, I would say we, we had gotten our mileage up to where it was pretty normal to be in the 40 mile range up to the fifties, sometimes pressing into the low fifties. Uh, speaking for of myself. Week. Yeah, per, Scott, week. Scott, per week, Scott would get into sometimes in the 60s. I mean, he'd take it even further than I was sometimes. And uh, having that base, I think, was essential. I think the biggest thing that we started doing, though, we had really both fallen in love with trail running over the past year. So we were really getting a lot of trail miles in. So um, getting on the trail, it's such a different pace. It's such a different kind of concentration level. Um, and then on top of that, I think Scott did a great job of realizing a little later, like, hey, we run in the dark every morning, but we don't run in the dark on trails. Mm. So we need to start running in the dark on trails to get used to that. And that yeah, was a big piece. That was a big thing. We kind of yeah. figured that out a little late. I wish we had done a little bit more of it in the training, but yeah. it was good to get some of it in there. Absolutely. Yeah. Right, so tell me a little bit about this race, uh, because this is, you mentioned trail running. This isn't 100 miles on a flat track or even 100 miles through a paved, even minor trail sort of course this thing's rather technical so before we even get into going through the dynamics of the run and what that all was like just paint the picture for what this event was going to be like yeah i mean you know we didn't we didn't know i guess we were coming off of that that 50k which was partially trail but we ran a lot of roads i'd say of that 30 there were probably 10 on the roads the trails were a lot different um this one was advertised as i believe 99 trail mm -hmm. And I would say it was more than that. I don't remember. I don't know if there was a mile of road. There are a couple bridge crossings that are actually a part of the mountain to sea trail. Um, but, you know, that was really the only road. The second you cross that bridge, you're getting right back on the trail. And it was uh, it was it was tougher than than advertised. I think um, John Fry was talking it up. I, I remember listening to him on a podcast. And I bet I was looking at the topo and I'm like, yeah, I, I, yeah, I hear what you're saying. I know you're trying to push this thing, but it doesn't look, it doesn't look as bad as, 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 as you're advertising it. And um, it, it was, it, it was harder than I think he, he even said, I mean, <laughs> roots, hills, the downhills, you know, hurt more than the uphills. It was, it was a lot, a lot, uh, a lot different than I expected. And the elevation gain ended up being uh 
I think 10,500 feet of gain, which was a solid, what, two to 3,000 more than advertised as well. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's right. That's right. So it's mid-March 2021 when you go out to tackle this 100-miler. Quick reminder for those listening, you just heard them say it was March 2020, not a year removed from when these guys, both of these guys, first ran their official full marathon. In one year's time, listen, two fit guys, two active runner, runner guys, but in one year's time, they go from a full marathon in March 2020 to a 100-mile event in March 2021. Jesse, was that in your brain at all as you guys are getting ready to run this thing? Like, dude, not just a year ago, we oh were doing 26. No, no. I I mean, yeah, it's kind of hard to believe that it, it that it happened that way. I don't think we had a plan at all. I mean, I, I definitely know that when we finished that marathon last March, there was not any kind of plan in my mind of pushing to any kind of mileage like that. I, you know, the thing that happened to me over the course of the year um, was I really fell in love with the history of the sport of ultra running. Like, like Scott was saying, we have the luxury of an incredible elite athlete that ha- can talk us through some of the most historical ultras in the country that he's run and some of the different things that he's seen. And I think we, I think the both of us really got into a lot of education and reading books and just trying to figure out things about what it would take to do a race like this in the future. Um, so yeah. So, I mean, I had no idea we would be getting to a point like that. Yep. We yeah. Got a, I mean, we got a wild hound behind us. <laughs> the Luca family dog, maybe, maybe barking in her sleep from what I can tell based on. What yeah, yeah. I think there's like a right night terror going on. <laughs> you know, it's really neat guys. Jesse talks about Scott, you know, that kind of falling in love with the history of it. You know, I had the great privilege of sitting on episode 13 of pick up the six podcast and talking to Charlie Ingle. I know a guy that we all just appreciate and, uh, and look to for a lot of his guidance, super incredible, uh, ultra marathon distance runners battled a lot of challenges in his day. And, you know, we went out and, and produced that documentary for the Oakwood 24 in 2019 because we were motivated by watching the source on YouTube and watching Courtney Dewalter and that source documentary. So it's just funny how you, you take from all these things and, and they kind of push you to do the next thing for you. Yep. I mean, eventually you just, you, you, you look at enough of them and it, it sparks your interest just enough to do something incredibly stupid. Exactly. Why, why commit to doing it? So exactly. exactly. That sounds horrendous. When do we start? Yeah. Right. <laughs> All right, guys, so take me up to, to race day and just walk me through uh, some of those moments. I want to talk about, we're going to talk about support crews and all the people that helped you out. So put a pin in that for a second as you get through it, but just take me through what this thing was like. Yeah, sure. Um, well, a couple, I think a couple, you know, when, when you run a race like this, I feel like for us, we really ran it like aid station to aid station. That's kind of what you put in your head for, I mean, for one reason, just to kind of try to compartmentalize the sections of the race so your head doesn't explode when you think about the mileage you have left. So um, for us, you know, a lot of it, I think the first 50K of the race was, I would even use the word relatively like enjoyable. Mm -hmm. Like it was, the the course was beautiful. We started a little bit, a couple hours in the dark, but then we get the sunrise coming up over the lake. You're seeing tons of runners. You got the 50K and the 50 miler guys on, on the, on the out and back that you're on. So you're seeing people you're energized, you're excited about this thing that you're doing that, you know, you, you had just, you stepped to the line of this event, you towed a line that you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know if you're going to finish. You just a lot of excitement from that unknown and adrenaline. So that first 50 K was really exciting. Um, we knew that we would see our crew for the first time when we hit the 50 K mark as well. So that was kind of like the first 
leg that stands out in my head. Um, yeah. Well, you I mean, I, yeah, I, I mean, I remember definitely feeling there's a lot that went into the planning of it. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm just a fly by the seat of my pants guy. And thankfully Jesse is a huge planner and he had everything written out. I knew what time we were going to be at the start line. I knew the pace we were going to attempt to run at certain times of races only because he put it all together. Um, you know, and then there was a the stress of, you know, reading a lot going into this thing. It, it almost sounded crazy for us to try to stick together for this whole thing. Yeah. Right. Just to marry to each other for the whole time. It just, uh, you know, everything I read said, uh, it's just probably not going to happen. Right. Somebody's going to have a good day. Somebody's going to have a bad day or good days at different times. And you're just going to split up. And it's, that's just how it's going to go. So it was a little stressful with that. You know, um, but again, that first uh, the first 50K, I think, like you said, it was great. We just really enjoying each other's company and, um, and had a good time. Throughout the course of it, I mean, did you ever get to any moments where you feel like you might split off from each other? I don't think I don't I don't know if it ever totally got I don't I never got to a point where I had to like make a decision like, all right, what are we gonna do here? Yeah. I mean, I think as long as we were both gonna keep going, I think we were sticking together, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. th that would have been the only thing and and it would have been uh, it would have been headed off with some uh, some no you're not quitting from yeah. either one of right or a crew member or you know someone would have right. would have said no that's not going to happen but I so I don't think ever I mean we even you know we never had we didn't have two paces at a time we had one pacer for the both of them so that kind of you know that kind of I think that helped in the end at, at first I think I was worried about that you know hey what if somebody falls behind and doesn't have a pacer you know how is that going to look and I think right. that you know just being able to stick stick together through it you know made all the difference what? I, go ahead Justin. I, I was going to say I feel like kind of the next I was going to say kind of going along with the race still that ne the next checkpoint after that 50k mark the 31 mile mark was really the 41 mile aid station and the thing that's significant about that one one it was run by a couple of our good buddies and there were a lot of people there that we knew we were going to get to see so that was motivating and also it was kind of like the point where we were in my mind I was going to try to start putting a little bit of real food into my body because as Scott had really, he had said one time that he had read that like these races are just a giant eating contest and, every, and everything I've read, the people that this usually goes South for is because their gut goes South. And that's yeah. like the number one cause of people, you know, DQing from these races or, you know, DNF. And so, um, you know, one of the big things that we did, well, I mean, I know we both are big users of tailwind. So we were really exclusively, for the most part, yeah. aside from some gummies and stuff, just uh, using tailwind in our bottles and trying to see what our guts were going to be like. And we were both in pretty good shape gut wise, at least until mile 41, for sure. So. We're going to talk about who was waiting for you at those aid stations, how they helped you. I'm so glad you brought up tailwind. Here's a really cool story about tailwind guys that I absolutely love. And we're not making any of this up. <laughs> this is what <laughs> happened here. I asked you guys before we recorded, I said, Hey, what got you through this thing? Right. Tell me what, what were you eating? What were you drinking? And you both were like, tailwind was massive for us because to your point sometimes you might think you're going to get super hungry and you're going to want to eat on these things but that's like the last thing you want to do when you're running 100 miles but you have to you've got to have nutrition you've got to have electrolytes and calories you got to have all these good things getting into you but sometimes it's hard to do that um and i just live that having gone through a 16 hour endurance event this past weekend it was a big long ruck event and I know I need to eat, but I really just at times I wasn't in the mood. It's not until you're done to where you're really like, I'm ready to scar some stuff down. You know, on a hundred miler, you probably get pretty hungry later to where you're really ready to eat. But in those early steps, you talked about Tailwind. So here's what happens. I reached out to Tailwind and I said, hey guys, 
I'm talking to my two buddies. We're recording a podcast. I asked them both what helped them, what got them through this. And they both were like tailwind. And I said, do you want to sponsor our episode? And they said, absolutely. We love hearing success stories about people going out and doing physical endurance events. And so the folks at Tailwind, we just want to thank them so much for sponsoring this episode of Pick Up the Six because we know they picked up your six. So here's what Tailwind does for you. It's real deal endurance fuel to keep you going through training sessions and on race day like what these guys had. And they're built to help you recover and come back stronger. Ditch the gels, bars, chews, pills. Go all day with just Tailwind. Tailwind mixes with your water to meet your calorie, hydration, and electrolyte needs. No matter how big a day is in front of you, even 100 miles. It's deliberately mild. Uh, These guys talked about just how easy it was to consume it. It's clean. It's light. It's just so easy to take on board. So here's what we're going to do for our listeners because we know it helped you guys and Tailwind wanted to make sure more folks could get to know about it. Go to tailwindnutrition.com and find their starter kit. Drop it in your cart and use the code PICK6, P-I-C-K-S-I-X, and they're hooking you up with 20% off. I asked them for less. When I actually reached out, they gave you more, 20% off if you use PICK6 as your coupon code. So it's tailwindnutrition.com, find the starter kit, or you go to trailwind, trailwind, excuse me, nutrition.com slash starter dash kit, and then you use the code pick six to save 20% off. We'll put their link in our show notes. And all of you guys, if you haven't used Tailwind before, you can go get that starter kit for you two guys who've used it before. You can save a little bit on your next one as well. Tailwind, all you need all day, really. Thank you guys so much for supporting this show. Dude, so you got to keep moving, right? You're ticking off these aid stations. Yeah. Who's at these aid stations giving you guys support? You know, it was uh... (laughs) a... when we kind of floated this out there, you know, we were both uh, strongly encouraged by our wives. And then we both kind of at several times floated out the idea of our wives uh, being our crew. And uh, both of them, after seeing a, a lot of YouTube videos and, and watching, you know, they've, they've noticed the crews and they see how, how things happen. And I uh, think they were both really excited, excited to do it. It was a lot different than uh, I think they were used to seeing on the YouTube video. We were, we were not running through at seven minute miles and them right. splashing us with water. Right. I think they had a lot more work to do than they were anticipating, but uh, that was, uh, we, we definitely could have done it without them. The wives were the crew. So, Tell me their names. Uh, my wife's name is Amber. Yeah. My, my wife's name is Miranda. All right. So you've got, uh, you got your wives out there in the after row. We call them the M the most important relationship. They're out giving you not just physical support, getting you food and things you need, but also probably a lot of spiritual, mental, emotional support along the way. I know F3 buddies were out there helping you out as well. How important were those crews in picking up your six along the way? Oh man, that was huge. Um, I mean, you know, aside from, well, we'll talk about our pacers too, but so just seeing our, our our buddies that we normally see just kind of popping up at aid stations was huge motivation. I, I can't say how much in an endurance race like this, just seeing a familiar face and getting some encouragement is. I mean, I even had the privilege of uh, one of my best friends from college came out and surprised me on one aid station. And I had some coworkers that were trying to see us at an aid station. Just awesome. people just come out of the woodwork to support you. And it just means, it means the world. Um, but then as far as, you know, getting into our pacer, so that kind of takes us to aid station mile 54. So that's the point where we had decided we would try to pick some pacers up. What, you know, a lot of these hundred mile races generally, I think let you pick them up around mile 50 to 60 traditionally. Um, and, 
we knew that the night, the night would be starting. We'd be out in the woods for, you know, 12 hours in the dark. And that would be a wonderful time to have some people yeah. with us to yeah. help guide us along, even just for wayfinding, you know, even just making sure we're not getting ourselves too far off the trail, that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, mile 54 was another, I feel like a big moment for us to see our first pacer. Uh, so uh, Sean McKinley, Denali, F3 Denali uh, was our first guy. And he, Took us uh, 14 miles, I think, and told us yeah. some great stories. He did. He was he was he was a he was a ball of entertainment, which is he knew coming in that's what he had to do. He uh, he ran when we wanted to run, and he walked when we needed to walk, and he uh, he entertained us. I guess he carried us he carried us through the uh, one aid station, and then to the turnaround point. We made it all the way to I guess it was a turnaround point about 65 miles on the second out and back. Yeah. Um, and you know, at that time it was, it was dark. We had been in headlamps for probably a, an hour, hour and a half or so. Um, and really, you know, what, what I guess we didn't realize at the time was, you know, though, the, though he was entertaining us, I mean, he was carrying us, he was carrying us through the woods, making sure we didn't get lost. And, uh, I guess we, we realized how important that was. Uh, we get to the, the turnaround point. We're there taking a quick picture before about to head back. Um, and, uh, as, as we start our way back, we hear a guy screaming from the woods, help, help. I'm lost. Um, you know, we didn't have the energy to go back and get him, but Denali did. And he, you know, he turned around and pulled the guy out of the woods who had been lost. He, he said he thought he had been lost for about three miles. You know, however long that takes, uh, you know, past past the turnaround point down in the woods, you know, headlamp coming out of the weeds. And, um, <laughs> you know, he had no patient with him. He had nobody with him. And it was, uh, you know, I think at that point I realized how important the Pacers were and were going to be uh, certainly for the rest of the night. Absolutely. What What is on the don't talk about this list of things that you tell a pacer because <laughs> part of them, right. Is to talk you through this, keep you moving out, keep you safe and going, what are you telling them not to talk about? That's a good question. You know, you know, it's funny. We, the, the, the guys that were out there with us know us so well, I yeah. felt like we didn't have to have too many of those conversations, but I will tell you that I I've read and you know, it could have, it could have been Charlie Engel. It might've been in one of his books. I can't remember whose book it was in, but basically they said, don't ever tell your pacer. Don't let your pacers ask you how you feel or how you're doing. Like when you're a mile seventy-five. Of course, of course, yeah, of course it's yeah. Bad, right. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. We're eighty miles in, it's not good. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I feel the worst I've ever felt my entire life. Right now, let's not talk about it. So that I think that would be my one kind of uh, piece of advice I would ever give if I needed to. But these guys were were such uh, so good. We didn't even have to say it to them. <laughs> Another one of our friends, uh, Tom Hayes, F3 Banjo, he said, yeah, don't ever tell me how much further we have to go. Hey, man, you just got another 30 miles. I don't, I know. <laughs> Trust me, I know how far we are into this. I don't need to hear it. <laughs> Incredibly powerful, though, man, into, into how much goes into an event like this. Right. And the people that are able to not only are you two picking up each other's six throughout the course of this whole thing, we're not quitting. Right. If I'm out here by myself, I probably am. But having those pacers pull you through as well. All right, guys. So the real yeah. race, the real event probably is in that last 30, 20 miles. And it's the same thing that, that folks go through when they train for a marathon. Get yourself ready for 20, 21 miles. And then the last five for many, <laughs> we'll see what happens. Yeah. Right. We'll see yeah. what happens. You guys had to probably get yourself to 70, 60, 70, 80, and then let's see what happens at the end here. Take me through some of the more memorable moments as you finish this thing up. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we kind of took that, that, like you said, the halfway point of a marathon is mile 20. I would say, right. you know, the halfway point of a, of 100 is, is 75, maybe. I mean, I would say there were definitely some 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 going in the pain cave even before that, but, you know, it. but it really started. You, you found yourself there 
um, often after I'd say about the 75, you know, mile mark, uh, you know, it was almost just trying to keep yourself out of there. Tell yourself, Hey, we can keep going. Everything's fine. You know, just keep moving. Um, and trying to, you know, trying to be an encourager to each other, you know, our paces, we're trying to do the same thing. Um, uh, but I'd say that's, that's really when it started for me and it, it ties into the darkness, right? I mean, it's, it's pitch black. You have not seen the sun in many hours and, uh, and it's, it, it, it you're starting to feel it in your soul. Oh yeah, so. no, absolutely. I mean, we had, yeah, we had a couple more guys, uh, Wonder Bread, Water Rings, Shana Clear, F3 names, of course, uh, get us through a couple more legs of the race. And then um, another significant one to me was mile 89 when we're coming back through the original aid station that was run by some of our buddies that we look forward to getting to. And uh, that was one where I started to do the math of what it was going to take us to do to finish time-wise. Uh, because, you know, at this point, you're, you're, you're moving the slowest you've moved in the entire day. And I think that was the most overwhelming point to me where it was just like, OK, this is going to be a trek to get this done. Mm -hmm. And we knew it was around 100 miles, but we knew it also might be a little more than 100 miles. <laughs> so that was the other little piece we were trying to figure out. OK, is this 100? Yeah, we got word at the 89 mile aid station that we probably had 12 and a half or 13 left and right. like, you know, no, we didn't no no right right right, right, right. that was we, we don't want to hear that we do not want to hear that right now so yeah 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 but you know another good thing at this point too though we were getting food down i mean i, I remember at mile 89 chugging a massive thing of coffee mm. you know pizza turned out to be something that was amazing for me that i just yeah. absolutely loved out there so you know, this was a learning experience for us too, in a lot of ways, trying to figure out what, you know, what our bodies needed and what we could take on during an endurance event like this. Um, and then I was just going to say the last thing that kind of jumps out in my mind about mile 89, my, uh, my father-in-law, who's, who's a great runner um, and a really, you know, big supporter came out with my wife for a good portion of the evening or the nighttime. And, uh, you know, he, he basically just put his shoes on and just said, Hey, you know, I'm going to go, I'm going to go in the last, uh, last 10, 12 miles here with you guys. And, and, you know, get you, get you through the gate. And we didn't have anybody lined up. So that was another really uh, cool thing that happened towards the end. So it was neat to share that with him. What's the moment like when after being in the darkness, Scott, for so long, that sun finally comes up and, and what was that feeling like? Man, that was, a, that was a great feeling. That was, I mean, my darkest point came probably, you know, and you're not really paying attention to the time, you know, it's coming, but I mean, my worst time came, you know, at the, probably the 85 mile mark, it was the, you know, it had been dark for so long. And I remember they had, they had a nice bathroom. I was using the bathroom and I was alone. And I was just thinking, you know, like, if I'm going to quit this, this might be the best time right here. You know, I could just walk out. I could tell everybody I, I, I could fake an injury. You know, I could, I could not, man. Then, I, I walked out of that bathroom. I didn't know what I was going to do, but, you know, I saw my wife, you know, my pacer, and I just knew that, you know, they were instructed not to let us quit. And I knew that there was no way if I quit, I was going to be running back to carry or walking back to carry or so picking up regardless. That's it. That's going to happen. So that was, and then it was shortly after that aid station is when we started to see the sun and, you know, our spirits kind of started lifting a little bit. I mean, but uh, it, we still we still had done the math, and we knew we had we had many miles to go. All right, and, two things. All right, so before you get to the finish line, at some point, the Stravas and the Garmins and the watch ticks over a hundred. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. So we're 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 uh, yeah yeah. So we're we're in the final couple miles. We're just kind of waiting to see this one checkpoint that we know we're going to see when it's time to get off the trail and get to that finish line. 
And uh, I just hear, I hear Scott yelling to me from about 20, 30 yards back. And he was just like, like a serious yell, like, Hey man, Hey, Hey. So I turn around and he's like, Hey, I'm sitting down right here. My watch just hit a hundred. Uh, we're done. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's it. Let him know I made it. Yeah. I'm right here. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. But you didn't stop there and you had to get yourselves back to the finish line. So get us home here, fellas. Yeah. Well, I guess that was, uh, let's see, we, we make it out to the road, you know, you got about a mile and a half on the road. So we yeah. kind of keep thinking that we're, I mistakenly, I don't know if it was a vision or what, but mistakenly keep seeing the guard shack we're looking for and getting <laughs> Scott all excited. And, uh, then it wouldn't, it, it wouldn't be there. So that was a little depressing, but then finally, uh, we hit the road. We uh, come through the final section. You can see the parking lot. You can see our families in the parking lot, man. It, it was a, it was a pretty amazing feeling to be finishing a trek like this. Um, yeah, it was incredible. Yeah, everybody was waiting for us. You know, you know, kind of cheering us on. A couple of the guys that worked at aid station that we that had they had closed up. They had finished up their aid station and they had met us at the end. And it was just, uh, it was just, yeah, it was an awesome feeling. I mean, we were we were close enough to where we figured if, if one of us went lame, we could literally drag ourselves across <laughs> it. Like you, you never know. I mean, it could, it could all fall apart at mile 95. Right. It could all fall apart at mile 98. You know, That's you right. just feel it. Once you see the finish line, you know, I'm going to make it. That's right. That's right. Absolutely. It's an amazing accomplishment for both of you to do it, but how proud are you of the other guy for doing it? Oh man. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Incredibly, incredibly proud, man. I mean, to see, I mean, especially doing it with somebody that you train with so much and, you know, spend, I mean, we probably spend what, at least four or five mornings a week together yeah. and, yeah. um, you know, walking through that journey. And like you were saying earlier, like just how special it was for, for us both kind of going through the same progression over the course of a year, starting with a marathon together and ending up at this race. Um, it, it's pretty special thing. It's pretty neat. Yeah. I wouldn't have wanted any other way. I mean, yeah. it really was, it, it, it was, you know, um, it, I don't know if you saw, if you saw the pictures, I mean, we pretty much, you know, uh, um, arm in arm across the finish line. And I, that's exactly how I would have never imagined it would have finished that way. I would have thought something would have derailed it, but I was, I think that in that moment, I was just so happy that that's how it finished. Yeah. So. Yeah. It was awesome. <laughs> really incredible guys before we go uh life lessons learned from this thing you've got a hundred miler under your belt i know you've got more things you're doing you're currently both in the middle of a 10 day 10.6 ish mile run per day so you'll be at 100 here over the next 10 days so you're going after physical feet like that you've got more you'll do in your future you got more blue ridge relays and all those things but just lessons learned from this this incredible journey well, I will say this. I, I know that we were both, I think, in, you know, asked by some of our friends and, and buddies uh, over the week after the race, you know, is this a one and done thing or are you going to do this again? And I mean, I, it, without hesitation, it, I loved it. I loved every minute of it. And it's like, I absolutely going to do this again and figure out a way to make this happen in the future for sure. Um, and, and the thing that was so interesting, I, there, there's a there's a pretty uh, there's a great film on on YouTube by Billy Yang that it's called Life in a Day mm -hmm. and it's it's you know his basically his hundred mile experiences and kind of what he's taken away from them and you know you really do get to experience life in a day in one of these races you go through multiple highs and lows you see the sunrise the sun fall you know I mean you just get to do all these emotions that normally might play out over years in one day. And yeah. that's a neat thing to do. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's addictive and it's also, um, very fulfilling. Um, so it's, it was, a, it was a cool experience. Yeah, it really was. I mean, you know, like I said, a life in a day, it's, you know, um, 
it's just you, you think about all that happens in a day right now. And you, 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 I feel like other days we don't appreciate it as much. But that that day, I felt like we we just appreciated whether we enjoyed it or not. We just appreciate it every single moment. You're up the whole time. You know, and it's just um, I mean, I think it really did give us give us a new appreciation for 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 the abilities and the, you know, the 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 God given abilities that we get to go out and do every day. So Oh yeah, you boys uh you done run rung the rag on that day. I'll tell you, that you, got every, you got every drop out of it, but I know you both took incredible joy in the journey, uh in the process. I know you both are men of faith and and know that that likely kept carrying you throughout the course of this thing as well. Just an incredible story. Anything else, guys, before we uh before we kick the shoes off at the end of this long run here? <laughs> Oh man, I, you know, I actually, I thought of one kind of funny thing here. So I, I, I could not talk about this moment. So the thing that's funny is that Scott is talking about his moment in the bathroom when he's trying to decide where he's going to go. And my yeah, head, he's, he's also like, I could just stay in here. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Not come out. <laughs> and what's funny is that we both had moments in those bathrooms. And the reason why is I, I couldn't have been more happy that the one time I really needed to see a real bathroom I found the one bathroom on the course, but it was on the flip side. It was when we first came through that aid station around mile 44. And I was, I just remember sitting in that bathroom, I'm going to the bathroom and I'm eating a hamburger while I'm sitting on the toilet. And I'm just trying to like contemplate how I ended up here at this point in my life. And what, what am I doing with my life right now that I end up in this point, you know? <laughs> so I feel like that bathroom was really a pretty special place for both of us. <laughs> This past Saturday night, it's probably about 1 a.m. I don't know what time it is. I'm not wearing a watch. I'm in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. My 50-pound rucksack is back behind me. It's not on me, but I'm fully clothed. And I'm marching towards the ocean that I'm about to go do some flutter kicks in. And I just started peeing in my pants. <laughs> and in those moments, right? Because I was like, well, I'm going to get wet here anyways. And I'm in the middle of this 16-hour ruck. But in those moments, you're like, what am I doing? <laughs> what is my life come to? I am being myself. But that is the joy in the journey, man. It's finding yes. those difficult things to do for you guys uh, in moments of extreme fatigue and low visibility, finding a way to keep going, keep moving, and keeping each other going, which was really the incredible part of the story and why I wanted so much to share it with our listeners today. Guys, keep running strong, and uh, I'll see you out there on the road soon. Sounds good, man. Thanks again, buddy. Thanks for having us. He's Scott. That's Jesse. I'm Brian Jodas. And this has been Pick Up the Six Podcast.